0: to life. And now, for our speaker. We've all been there before. We've
1: all been in this position. We've all have been in these shoes. You see, we're all, from time to time, are running a little late for work, for school, for a, to a meeting, to a job interview, to uh, fill in the blank. And you already know by the time you're getting ready that you are going to be late. And so we get in the car and we begin trying to make up the time that we have lost, and then when we're not paying attention to the speed limits or to our speedometer, then it happens. I don't know where it would just seem like, but there you are seeing in your rear view mirror the flashing of blue and red lights pulling you over for speeding. Then, if you're like me, that you're sitting in her car hoping that this officer that's coming to the window is prepared to show his utmost grace. <laughs> I'm sure my reasoning for being late is justified. And all of this, all of this this interaction because we feel that we are rushed or that we're out of time in a given day or in a given moment or we're running late, but we we feel we must hurry everywhere we go, hurry, 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 everywhere we go until we are forced to stop, pull over, and take a breath. I think we can all relate to that one, can't we? the last six months, I think a lot of us have been forced to stop, pull over, and take a breath. And the breath may not have been comfortable, but it was a breath that we all had to take. And when we stop and we think about it, grace in those moments is the one thing that we all crave from one another. I don't know, I've seen it. I saw grace I saw business meetings happening over Zoom with kids in the background climbing things up, you know. Uh, or a business meeting with the guy in a suit and a tie. And so their kid runs up and he stands up and he's in shorts, you know. And so it's just, we get, grace was just had to be, we desire it. We were hoping for it in this time. And the story of the prodigal son is one of the most famous stories all about grace now when we left off last sunday the prodigal son just had a revelation he came if you remember he came to his senses and he realized that he hit rock bottom he was living with pigs and he was eating food not worthy of human consumption if you remember And then he was filled with guilt and shame. And if you remember, when we ended the story, he picked himself up from that dirty place, and then he started the journey home. With one thought on his mind, I'm sure it would be on mine if I was in that position walking home. What will Father do when I get home? Now, let us not forget that the story of the prodigal son is just that. It's a story. Which means that Jesus is telling it to a crowd. And that this crowd, if you remember, was diverse from people who were really good, I mean really good at keeping the law, and then those who were also equally professional at breaking the law, and not keeping to it, and not doing what they're supposed to be doing. And then also in this crowd, among the people that were listening to this story, are also the enforcers of the law, the Pharisees. The ones who were really listening to the story for judgment's sake. And it's at this point in the story, right now, that the Pharisees are leaning in. And they're paying very close attention. They want to know what the Son is going to do because they already know what the Son should do. You see, there is actually a scripture in Leviticus that they, the Pharisees, are hoping that will make an appearance in this story on that day. In fact, they're counting on it and they're going to judge Jesus as an actual rabbi on the moment if this scripture decides to make an appearance or if they're gonna give him a little bit of credit on the street, and the scripture they're hoping for is actually found in Leviticus chapter six, and it says this, the Lord said to Moses, if anyone sins and is unfaithful to the Lord by deceiving a neighbor about something entrusted to them, or left in their care, or about something stolen, or if they cheat their neighbor, or if they find lost property and lie about it, or if they swear falsely about any such sin that people may commit when they sin in. Any of these ways, and realize that their guilt, they must return what they have stolen or taken by extortion, or what was entrusted to them, or the lost property that they found, or whatever it was that they swore falsely about, they must make restitution in full, add a fifth of the value to it, and give it all to the owner on that day that they present their guilt offering." According to this scripture, that the, the Pharisees would have known by heart, would have expected to hear in this story, according to this, a person who has stolen or taken what is not theirs, who has done incorrect to a person, they would have to return that thing with interest. Five percent is what it says. The fifth had to be added as a guilt Offering, This, in their eyes, is the only way that reconciliation can take place, according to the law. Now, Jesus is already on thin ice with the Pharisees. You see, they, they watched him eat with tax collectors. The scum of the earth, the dirtiest of them all, watched him eat. And according to the law... The tax collectors should return all the money that they stole from each person that it belongs to with interest. But Jesus wasn't demanding that the tax collectors repay their debt. Instead, he had dinner with them, he invited them to the table. Now, to the Pharisees, it would appear that Jesus wasn't taking their sins seriously. And so Jesus, I would think, if I was sitting in that room and I was experiencing that moment, I could imagine that there was tension in the room. That Jesus was enjoying his meal with the fellow tax collectors, but burning eyes looking on in judgment to who this rabbi is. And so with that tension in the room, I would imagine that's what prompted him to tell this story to begin with. And the whole story up to this point has only been the setup for this moment. And so the diverse crowd is waiting to hear how this story ends. And the Pharisees, oh, the Pharisees, they want the son to give everything back to the father with interests. After all, the son disgraced the father. In fact, the father would be within his actual rights to not even accept the guilt offering from his son and then remove him from the family. He's within his right to do that. It was the son who left, not the father. And the Pharisees represented a culture that, that, that said reconciliation can only come with repayments. And until repayment has been made, there is no fixing this. And Jesus, knowing that he had the intention of the crowd before he finishes the story, he says, he opens his mouth, everyone's leaning in now going, what is the son going to do? And he says, while the son was walking home, on his way home, long off, his father saw him. And he was filled with, com- with compassion. For he ran to his son, he threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Now this is right here is the part where the Pharisees, their jaws are dropping to how this story is being told. Could this actually be what Jesus is trying to say? That the son should have been given a guilt offering to his father. That the village should have performed a Jewish ceremony called, now work with me, I don't speak Hebrew, because of the commissioner, correct me. Uh, but it's because of Shah, I'm going to go with that. Because Where they actually, the ceremony, is that they break a large pot in front of the son and then they yell, you are now cut off from your people. You have shamed us. You are no longer welcomed here. And the son should have been rejected from the community right then and there. But instead, the father in the story saw his son coming in the distance. And then he began to run he began to run he wanted to get there before any of the villagers could do any type of shaming and with everyone watching the whole village seeing the father threw his arms around the son and the son the 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 same son that rejected him that took his money that lived a life filled with drugs and alcohol and sex bringing disgrace to his father and he is now, at the moment, face to face with his father, face to face with him. And his father begins to cry, and they wrap they wrap his arms around tightly, his son. And he says, and he tells, every, he tells his son, give me your shame. Give me your guilt. Give me all of your sin. It is all being placed on the father right before the villager's eyes. Give me your shame, son. Give me. hear here. Give me your shame, son. Come here. Give me all your sin. Give me all of the, the loneliness you experienced when you were out there. Give me the addictions that you have formed while you were away from home. Give these things to me, son. For the father sealed it with the simple act of a kiss on the son. The son was forgiven. He was forgiven. Now in a moment of not understanding like me the son is experiencing this. He's what is happening? And so the son says, "Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son." I lost my worthiness. I lost. I lost. I'm not worthy. And the shame and the guilt will do that. It makes you doubt that if this is true at all, is this real? Am I really forgiven? Can I actually really come home? And that right now I'm going to tell you is that when the father embraced the son in his arms and the forgiveness was given, the sin inside of us will say it is not real. It is only surface. You are truly still a bad person. But that's the sin lying to your soul. For this is not the way that God embraces us. And so sin never wants you to fully ever accept God's grace. Sin wants you to stay back right there in, in the messy pigs. That's where, they, that's where he wants you to be. And the father wasn't going to entertain these thoughts. No, no, no. When the son said that I'm not worthy to be your son, no. He said, quick! Bring the best robe and put it on him now. Go get the family ring. I want that on his finger this moment. Son, you don't have any sandals on your feet. Go get the best sandal. Yes, this, yes, the one with the, yeah, that one. Get that one for him. Put him on his feet now. You, oh you. I have a job for you. I need you to go get the best and the biggest. I want you to get the fattened calf. And we're going to kill it because, you see, we're going to feast and we are going to celebrate tonight. Oh, yes, we are, because the, my son, the son of mine right here before me, he was dead and now he is alive. You see, he was lost, but not anymore because my son is now found. Let's celebrate and feast tonight. There's no room for shame or guilt or forgiveness. not being. No, no, no. You're my son. Come sit with me at the table. I've been saving the seats. And now, when looking from the kind of the the, the story from the outside, perhaps, even maybe the Pharisees are kind of peeking in at this point in time, it, it may appear that this is a little bit of bad parenting. <laughs> no, if you have a, a son or a daughter who ran away, who spent everything they had, uh, gave their life to the world, usually a, a a party isn't what's waiting for them when they come home. Our instinct is to expect repayment, or at the very least, rehabilitation. There is a reason, listen now, there is a reason that Jesus told this story. There was a, well, there's a reason. You see, there actually is, there, there actually is a father like the one in the story. He exists. He's real. There is a father who is willing to shame himself in order to save his children. And the storyteller knew this. He knew this. For the storyteller is the actual voice of that father. Jesus is waiting for us to get out from playing with the pigs. And he, right now, in this moment, is ready to run toward us. In fact, he's already got a head start. And he's ready to wrap us in his arms and he's ready to never let us go. All the shame, all the guilt, all the sin that is in us is now placed on him. He stands, Jesus stands before the heavens and the earth, and he declares loudly for all to hear that for my child was dead, but now he is alive. You see, you were were lost, but now you are found. He is screaming it aloud. This is my son. And then Jesus was just getting us ready. He was just priming us up. For a day was coming that all shame, all guilt, all sin was going to be placed on him. And in the place of shame, there will now be grace. Making him, Jesus, the only person able to take away our shame, our guilt, our sin. He took it. hmm, there's no greater feeling than being at home. Do you agree with that? There's something about being at home. You know, you just kind of feel comfortable. You kind of get into your, your favorite chair. You know you've got one. It's already been broken in. And it's actually calling out to you, come When you come home, right, come in, come come hither, come hither, yes, yes. But there's no greater feeling than being at home because it's when you are at your most true self. I'm going to tell you that Jesus is ready to receive you with open arms, wide arms. Nick, I don't know, could you play something maybe for us? But you may think, here's the thing though, is that you may think, just like the young son here, that you're just a little too dirty. You're actually just a little too messed up. You know. Now we're all, you know, we've heard this story before. We know, we know where this is going. We know where this ends up. But the reality of our soul isn't found in a story, it's found within us. And now all of us, each of us, have to make that choice, that decision of wanting to come home, when the arms are waiting wide open, and He's calling for you. And I have always found that the number one reason why we are always hesitant to take the first step, to actually make that journey home, is because we feel there's not going to be a good reception on the other end. I'm here to tell you this morning that I assure you he has seen it all and he's waiting on the porch and he's waiting for that moment just so that way in the distance there he is get the, fat, get the calf ready get the come on And I assure you that Jesus told this story for those people on that day so that each of us can experience a homecoming. We've kind of experienced that today, haven't we? A homecoming into this place. Feels good, doesn't it? It feels right, it feels feels like home. Jesus is waiting. So perhaps today is the day you start your journey home, or maybe it's the day you finish it. You finish the journey. Now, Lord, we just come into your presence right now, and, and we, we just want to say thank you, God, for, for this story, for placing it on the lips of Jesus, so that way we can see and we can hear, we can understand what is waiting for us when we go to the cross. When we go and run into Jesus' arms. And Lord, I pray right now that if any of us within your kingdom, within your church, within your body are struggling with that journey, break those chains off today, Lord, and let us just run freely back home. Give us, God, the, the path, the lighted path of wisdom and guidance, Lord, that these are the things that we know you can grant and give us, Lord. And as we in our time here hearing this message, God, we just pray that as we leave here, and we go into our walks of life through work and through everywhere else in school, that we walk with the sense that our Father has welcomed us home. And so Lord, we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, amen.